A warm welcome to the Creative Places and Faces podcast, the podcast that explores places that help to inspire creativity. Some are local, some even formative, and others are far away and sometimes rather exotic. I'm Mike Payne, one of the Creative Places and Faces team. Let me introduce you to your host, Jackie DeBurka. Jackie is originally from Dublin, Ireland, but has spent a lot of time abroad, especially in Spain. She is the author of Salvador Dali at Home, creator of Travel Inspires, and the number one travel and tourism influencer, Q2 2020, according to Global Data. Over to you, Jackie. A very warm welcome to Suzanne Stitch, who's a wonderful writer, an all-round creative who hails originally from Bavaria in Germany. But she's actually been living in the north of Ireland between Derry and Donegal. Welcome, Suzanne. Hello, Jackie. I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. That's brilliant. And I'm delighted that you could join us, Suzanne. Now, I know you said to me uh, just before we started recording, it's a bit of a rainy day there where you are. Um, it's a place that you've been for 20 years. And as I was reading through your writing in, in the research period up to, to our chat today, it, one particular quote that's a favourite of mine popped into my mind. And I thought, let's start our chat with that. The quote is by Anita Desai, and it is, wherever you go becomes a part of you somehow. What do you feel about this quote, Suzanne? Oh, it's a lovely quote. Um, and it's so, so true. Um, the, the funny thing, though, I think is you don't really know necessarily what has become a part of you, especially when you're in places for a long, long time. Saying that, I could think of places that I've only visited in passing, like maybe only for an hour or maybe a day, and they left a big, big impression on me. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I can totally relate to that quote. It's the kind of thing I would almost write, like something like that would come up in my journal periodically, this idea of places having an effect on me, making their little imprint and I couldn't necessarily say, what exactly is it that happened there? What was it that I took away from this place? Um, mm -hmm. what, what places up to, up to now, Suzanne, in your life, what places do you feel have become a part of your life in that sense? Well, definitely here, the northwest of Ireland, um, Ireland as a whole for me, because while I live in the northwest, I have also lived in Dublin and in Galway before. Um, many years ago, um, th those would be the like it's Ireland and Germany, where I grew up, are the two big places. And saying that, I've, I love traveling, I haven't done so much in recent years, and obviously not so much this year. Um, but yeah, a lot of for me, traveling is, is like food, you just get a lot of ideas, you can reflect on things not necessarily related to the place that has become uh, has you have visited so um different places are, are on my mind all the time and i'm constantly switching between germany and ireland even mentally you know sometimes mm -hmm. i'm there i do make a lot of phone calls phone calls more than like skype calls so it's it's almost germany is the country i connect to on the phone these days okay that's quite interesting <laughs> it's, it's quite bizarre yeah and through okay. podcasts um, okay. And what so, so, sort of creativity? I've been reading some of your uh, wonderful stories, but I know that you're 
not only a writer. What forms of creativity have you been most engaged in, Suzanne? I love all art forms. Um, I am probably most suited to writing, which I started as a as a young child, to be honest. Um, it was always something I wanted to do, but I'm also equally attracted to imagery like pictures, photography, film, that has been such a big part of my life growing up, watching movies and looking at illustrations and books. So I also I made a couple of short films and I'm, I always use photography in my work as like a reference point. Um, I have taught visual studies, um, like the theory behind it. Um, so that that for me was a bit of a stumbling stone in many ways. Well, I love reading up about other artists, about other practitioners, be they filmmakers, be they photographers, be they writers, be they actors. Um, but I, I guess for a long time, I was just so in awe of other people while always making my own stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and while the writing was always there from the very start, it took me a long time to really trust that that is right for me and that that is the medium I want to work in. The other thing there was, of course, that I grew up uh, with German as my first language. And while I while I did write little notes in English when I was there, when I was in Dublin as an au pair many years ago, and I started writing in English, I always loved English song lyrics, but I never really thought I could write, say, a, a whole story or even a novel in in English. It took me a long time to, to muster up that courage and realize that it is actually possible. It is a very different process from writing in your first language, but I actually see it as a tremendously exciting thing so with all my interests in different art forms the writing um, is is so complex now and I value it for that much more than I used to I used to think oh writing is a bit boring isn't it I, I'm much prefer painting and drawing and where I don't like I love doing all that but I don't think I have the same kind of talent is maybe the wrong word I I don't really know if I believe in talent it's more like a calling you really feel compelled to do this thing and nothing but and if you were told you can't do anything else in art now other than this one thing what would you pick would definitely be writing with me interesting and I have to say it's so courageous of you to write in what's not your maternal language and you do so wonderfully I mean actually reading your work if somebody didn't know that English wasn't your first language, they wouldn't have any idea whatsoever. You, you actually grew up in Germany, obviously, Suzanne. Whereabouts did you grow up and how do you think this environment influenced you? I did grow up in Nuremberg, which is in Bavaria. It's a big city, about 600,000 inhabitants. It's um, known internationally for its history, primarily to do with the Nazi regime. Hitler used to organize his party rallies there. Um, but then, of course, also the post-war trials, the Nuremberg trials, are known widely. Now, while these were things I became aware of, as I, I would say from about 11, 12 onwards, while I was growing up, I, I had little idea that this had happened in my city, um, which was like historically such a such a hot spot really for for recent history i was born in the mid 70s so it 
when I look at this now, even though when I was a child, it felt like a long, long time after the war, but it really wasn't. The, the Second World War ended in 1945. So there were a lot of things, I think, still there in the on the periphery of things that especially my parents' memories of being small children during the Second World War and literally walking out of the rubble. Um, what was that like? And what was it like to grow up with that dark cloud hanging over you? Um, yes, that's like, very I'm, interesting. It's very interesting, Susanna, that you say that because actually I was thinking to myself, you, you, you were born mid-70s, 1974, and you weren't even, as you said yourself, you, you didn't really have up to a certain time of your life, hardly any awareness of the history. Can you explain the differences, knowing your parents, knowing the reactions of themselves and other people of their generations? Can you explain the differences between Nuremberg of your youth and of theirs? I think it was um, a, a huge contrast, and I probably absorbed that uh, subconsciously big time but I didn't really know that that was the case until I saw a from, I don't quite know if this was precisely the one moment but I always remember that my parents bought this book one Christmas which was like a, a photo book it was the size of, of like a coffee table book and it, it was called Nuremberg Then and Now and it showed all these photographs of Nuremberg in ruins in 1945, after all the Allied air raids had happened, and the, lit uh, the city had literally been reduced to rubble. And uh, in those 30 years or so until I was born, a lot of reconstruction had happened, and there was very little evidence of, of this complete destruction from 30 years before. But the, this book documented it so incredibly well. There were pictures of places that I knew and had walked past many, many times, and they looked completely different. And suddenly the stories that my mother especially had told me, but also my father, um, about what it was like to be in that environment, and literally there was nothing. The house you had lived in was gone. And you just emerged with, if you were lucky, with a suitcase and maybe some, and, and your family, if they were alive, that was like a big thing. Um, so it, it, these pictures made this all a lot more tangible to me. I was shocked and fascinated and I kept looking at these pictures and especially, well, both the old pictures and the new pictures had people in them, but they were like like we pins in places. Um, you could just tell this must be a person, and there were children too. And I remember thinking, oh, I wonder, is this my dad? Is this my mom? <laughs> and then vice versa, the, the other pictures that were taken um, in the probably in the 70s, and I would have looked at this book in mid-80s, maybe mm -hmm. 84, 85 or so. Um, I was thinking, is is this my mother as a young adult? Is this my father? You know, it's it I I naively as a child immediately referred it back to my own family because I had heard so many stories about what it's like in the war, 
what it's like to walk the streets and there was no food the winters were cold and it, it was just such an incredible story world leaving aside the trauma but the imagery was so concrete and powerful like no mittens no hats in winter or, or three people sharing a bed um and living in one little room together that kind of stuff and my mother especially experienced that my father um had slightly better living conditions after the war but my mom was like literally going through a whole range of different accommodations and very very basic uh, and just her and her siblings and her mom because she Mm -hmm. had lost her father during the war I think that was that was what shaped her, and I absorbed that through the stories she told me. I can imagine you did. So, so one of the things as as you're talking about um, such a, a, an a, such an amazing history, but obviously also so so deeply sad as well. Um, do you feel that the, that the connection and absorbing from your mum and from the history of Nuremberg and 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 you know from your dad as well? Do you feel that affected you creatively as a young person? I guess so, yeah. Um, I mean, it's very hard to... Living here in Ireland has given me a, a very different perspective on all this. I can, I would say yes wholeheartedly sitting here at this desk in my house in Ireland. I, I wonder, would I say exactly the same thing living in Nuremberg, mm-hmm. Bill? Um, but yeah, I, I think there's no doubt that that these these stories have shaped me, and also the 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 details of my parents' biographies. My father, for instance, um, lost his hearing over a number of years, and it was um, pretty clear that this was somehow connected to an air raid, basically to the impact of a bomb. Uh-huh. Okay, which remained undiagnosed for a long time in his childhood. He, nobody knew that he had a problem with his hearing. There were so many other things going on. Of and, course, yeah. and then as an adult, he slowly became profoundly deaf, and that was a huge thing in our family. Of course, and that was unique to us, and I do think that also shaped my creativity, in a way. I think it definitely shaped me beyond the history of Nuremberg and the history of the Second World War. The fact that my father was deaf, um, it, by the time I was born, he had no hearing at all. Um, I think the visual is so important to me because of that, um, because he was really into photography and even Super 8 film, all that kind of thing that meant a huge amount to him because he had no access to the sounds that he remembered so that, that was also I think it was incredibly sad for him and I was very aware of that sadness in my childhood that must be such a a burden to a child as well as well as your dad obviously that goes without saying that must be a a, a burden and yet at the same time perhaps a deep knowing and wisdom because of of your dad's loss of one of his uh, one of his senses, uh, which he obviously made up with with his love for the visual. Yeah, I I mean I do think about that a lot, and while it's there's always a, a sadness associated with it for sure. Um, also because we didn't really, 
at the time talk a lot about this. You know, the the war had been such a a traumatic event, literally for the whole nation. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things that happened that came out of that, and um, and also the sense of Germany being guilty in mm-hmm. this war. It was our nation who had brought this on the world and so i even though people wouldn't necessarily have articulated this but it it was a lot this was very much an emotional undercurrent if that Mm. makes any sense it does yeah it does of course so i think um there there were a lot of silences um about all of this kind of stuff and that shaped i think my whole family Nowadays, I think um, generally we in in Western societies are have come a huge distance in terms of talking more about what this means for a family, what it means emotionally. Mm-hmm. But leaving all that aside, which is tied up, I guess, with with trauma, secondhand trauma, and all all these things, which do fascinate me. But for a creative person which thankfully I am, I, I just had to make stuff all the time. I remember always drawing and painting and writing. And it, it was an inspiration as well. And I always remember factoring in that my father had no hearing. And so I wrote little notes for him when he couldn't understand something. I wrote things down and he, he enjoyed that. So I guess that's, um, yeah, that's definitely a part of, of, why I turned to writing. Definitely. I mean, that's, that's uh, obviously very, you know, it's very sad on one hand, but also probably a huge create, creative trigger for you, I would imagine. Were there siblings, Suzanne? You haven't mentioned if you had any brothers or sisters. Yeah, I have two older brothers who are quite a lot older than me. So they were um, 11 and 14 when I was born. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but they're, they're amazing, and I picked up a lot about music from them. They, were, which is ironic, with my father also in the house who couldn't hear, but they had already started listening to music, um, and I was like, I loved the music they were playing in the eighties, and the likes of uh, Eurythmics, um, Talking Heads, and so on. That's also how I became interested in the English language. Mm-hmm. They always made me tapes and. Um, yeah, but their their lives were very kind of in a strange way separate from mine. Sometimes it was a little bit like um, an only child for me because they were by the time I was like seven or eight, they had left and they were studying and working, and they were coming home to visit. Yeah, I I I, I was curious really because I'm an only child myself, and from some of the way you express yourself, I got like. Is Suzanne an only child? It's funny, isn't it? Um, but going back to your childhood, you did also discover some places outside of the city that I think were formative to you, Suzanne. Where, where, where did you used to go as a family? We used to go um, literally to the countryside at, at weekends. We went into forests a lot. We went... Um, on bike tours, I remember going there with my godmother and aunts and cousins and also with my mom and dad and brothers. And it, it was a huge thing. It was very simple and it didn't cost us a lot. Um, but it, it was just so bonding and lovely to be 
gathering mushrooms, for instance, in the forest, gathering mushrooms and berries, which was a huge part of the annual calendar. And I have such uh, powerful memories of those days of being in the forest and like seeing a relative in the distance, but it was almost like you were a little bit on your own as well for some moments. And then suddenly somebody appeared somewhere and you were in the middle of nature and you heard bird song and it, it was just powerful to me from as early as maybe three, four years old. Um, so you wrote about this, Suzanne, in, in one of your, your pieces also, didn't you? I did write a short piece. It's only a hundred words, but to me it sums up perfectly that memory of being together and also having the sense of everyone being um, like an individual with mysteries surrounding them, all, all that kind of thing. Um, but literally also being connected to nature at the same time and nature being so important and such a soothing force. I, I very much experienced that as a child and I don't know where that came from. Um, but I should maybe add that the flat we lived in as a family was on the fifth floor. It was quite small for a family of three, even though my oldest brother lived next door, but we overlooked a, a park in the middle of the city. So up high, we were literally overlooking all these trees. And it was for me, when I was very small, it, it was like living in a tree house. Okay. There was, also, there was also a river there. Um, I remember people always saying when they came to our house, is it raining? Is it raining? No, but it was the river. Um, so there was always the sound of the river going past, a sidearm of the Pagnitz, which is the river running through Nuremberg. Um, and I think that really shaped me a lot. And that might well be where this love of nature comes from, despite growing up in the middle of quite a big city with all the features of big city life. Mm -hmm. Okay. And did you used to go anywhere on holidays at all as a family? We sometimes uh, went to Austria. Yeah, my mum is half Austrian. And while she lost her father in the war, um, there were siblings there and one aunt in particular who we used to go to um, outside Vienna. But we also went to the Alps a couple of times. And I remember that again as as some massive imprint on my child mind um, the idea of the the Alps covered in snow was just so beautiful the sun reflecting on these massive slopes and here were we our little unit of a family and um, uh, yeah the Alps and that would have been somewhere we we went quite frequently when I was very young Mm -hmm. And then later as a teenager, I would have traveled a little bit with the community um, on these group trips. Like I remember going to the south of France, going even in Germany, um, going camping. And that, again, was great. It was just great to be out. Mm -hmm. I, I noticed in, in some some parts of your writing, Suzanne, um that you seem to also have a special connection to water. Would that be true? Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> the, 
Definitely. It's probably one of the reasons I'm here, surrounded by all this water on this island. Um, but even swimming pools, to me, are, are magical. They, they really have this... One of my first memories is standing in a small pool and um, seeing the sun reflect in the water, like a, like a kiddie's pool, mm-hmm. an outdoor pool. Um, I've, I've always loved swimming pools and wherever I go, wherever I travel, if I get the chance to go into a pool, I do go. Um, even just looking at one through the window, I love. Um, and I, I love how water, it's, it's the subconscious ultimately, I, I guess. But um, your memories blend with other stuff, with your experience, with history travel mm-hmm. the films i've seen the books i've read um it's it's just yeah like uh, even when i'm in the shower i sometimes have the best ideas what <laughs> <Water and laughs> and me do go together well and yeah i have i have that same experience that's why i was laughing do, do, <laughs> do you actually feel that it's possible that you and maybe other people as well carry their formative environments with them in life and maybe draw on them at times creatively? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I personally think everybody does that who's creative. And if they tell you otherwise, I, I, I don't think they're quite in touch with the fact that this is the case. Because at the end of the day, we are so shaped by our own stories and experience and our particular sensitivity um, that is shaped by place as much as it is by people. Mm-hmm. Um, I often think people's preoccupations, once you start, and maybe this is something that only comes as you get that little bit older, where you, can, you do develop an interest in this and you see it more clearly, that we are all motivated by things that we have very little control over. Um, I think the subconscious is really the main driver. That, for me, that's also the reason why, I, why I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Subconscious, for a lot of people who probably just don't realize or think about it, it actually makes uh, takes up 88% of the mind. Yeah, I'm not surprised, yeah. Which uh, is fairly significant. <laughs> um, you've, you've lived just... just going to the area that you are now you've lived there uh it's a border area between Derry and Donegal mm-hmm. for around 20 years now but when you first went to Ireland that actually isn't where where you went first Suzanne where, where did you go first of all first of all I went to Dublin I worked there as an au pair just after I finished school I was in South Dublin in Cabin Teeley uh-huh. and uh, I had a wonderful year there I um I remember especially taking the dart at weekends and going to Bray and Hoth on a day ticket, basically take the whole journey from north to south and um, just walking the cliff walk in Hoth and also walking up Bray Head. That was a big staple of my week. I loved walking the pier in Dunleary. Um, being in Dublin was just so different from anything I had experienced before because most of my travel had been in place not so much on coastlines anyway I had been to cities 
but and but not so much on the coast. I hadn't actually been to the German coast at that point. And the idea of being near the sea was just very, very special to me. And I, I couldn't get enough. That's why I took the dart. And I love that the, that view of, of the Irish Sea that you get and all the different parts of the journey through the city. And then suddenly you're in Hulth and you go on this cliff walk and you might as well be in Donegal. I still think to this day the Hulth cliff walk is one of the best cliff walks in the world. Not that it I is. Yeah, it's, it's stunning. Yeah, <laughs> of course, of course, I'm from Dublin, so you know, I'm 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 going to be a little bit uh, biased, you know, to 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 all the nice things you're saying. How did you feel about Dublin, apart from the landscape, of course, being different that you hadn't really experienced being by the sea that much beforehand? How did you feel about the culture there in comparison to everything you'd known up to that time? It was very interesting, and it's. It, it is very interesting from my perspective now because my sense of arriving in Dublin in um, 1993 it was um, was just this strong sense of possibility here I was a young woman on my own working for this family and um, going into town meeting all these people. I remember seeing Sinead O'Connor sitting in Bewley's talking to Brandon Kennelly, the poet. <laughs> I, and that I was, I, it, everything seemed so vibrant. I saw Daniel Day-Lewis walking down Grafton Street one day and it just seemed like it was, even then I had a sense that it's a small island and it's much easier to actually see people. To me, from coming from Germany, that was just unbelievable or my family, on the very first day I arrived, they took me past Bono's house <laughs> on a drive. I mean, I'm not a, a big fan of you two, but it was still, it was quite stunning to think, oh, all right, that's where he lives. <laughs> and over time, of course, I've seen Dublin in the 90s, well, it was on the cusp, probably moving toward the Celtic tiger and all of that. <laughs> big myth but mm, yeah Dublin in the 80s would have been very different but there was still this lingering sense of of the commitments um Roddy Doyle's early all his stories I remember watching the snapper and being in awe of all of this but not fully appreciating at the time the um amount of history and suffering also that the Irish had been through because for me Arriving, it was like um, being in this place of wild possibility. Um, there was there was less perfectionism than I had encountered in Germany. People were a lot more open. They were interested in hearing your story. Um, I was really quite naive. And, of course, these were also my formative years. And I just absorbed everything like a sponge and uh, just loved being there, being in the city, sitting in cafes, sitting in Beaulieu, sitting in the Winding Stair Cafe, um, going to the galleries, going to the National Gallery, Emma, and, and just walking up and down the streets and absorbing this city. It, I sometimes wonder, could I have gone almost to any city and I would have had a similar experience because that was the stage I was at. 
I was, I was. I, I actually think again. I'll say this. I'll say the word biased a second time. I actually wonder, would you? Because Dublin, even though it is my home city, it is special because it's such a small city. So, as you know yourself, you're walking from Grafton Street. You've got Trinity College. You go down, head down to O'Connell Street, and all that. Everything is very accessible. So, I think that has a different effect to many other cities. That's very true. Yeah, and I remember a friend of mine saying back then. Um, you won't understand Ireland if you haven't seen England. And while I had been to Oxford and uh, Wales, strangely enough, on a school trip, mm. I, I didn't really think I knew England at all. I, I only knew it from stories and from things I had made up seeing films and so on. And then going to London, I think in 1996 for the first time, I began to understand what he had meant. But also the other extreme from this massive big city back to Dublin and then going out to the Aran Islands in Connemara mm-hmm. or off the Connemara coast and meeting people on these islands. I, I remember speaking to a man there who was quite elderly, but he had never once been in Galway. Um, he had spent all his time on the island and I'd say that would be a rare thing. People would most people would have been to Galway and Dublin but I was I was amazed by the sheer scope um, of experience and then you could also factor in the expat community people uh, Irish people in New York Irish people in London of course Irish people in Australia so the the magic of Ireland and to me it still is a kind of magic you meet Irish people everywhere <laughs> Um, you yourself are in Spain. Um, th- that has always fascinated me, how a small country has made such a huge impact on the world and there's so many different perspectives you can take of looking at it. Um, th- it's it's such a, a network of influence and of presence and absence. And uh, Yeah, I, I don't know if this makes any sense. but It makes loads of sense, but it's probably a whole separate discussion because yeah. what comes to my mind is, as an Irish person, and as you say, I live in Spain, what comes to my mind is, do you, do you think that this is probably linked to the fact that the Irish, so many of the Irish people who survived the famine had to go to the States or, you know, wherever they, they went to, the people who actually, not everybody obviously, but a lot of people did leave at the time of the famine. And I'm wondering, was it sort of almost instilled in our consciousness at that time? So I actually absolutely get what you're saying, but it's it's such a huge topic, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. And I mean, living up here in the Northwest, in Donegal, it is just... Um, has become a lot more clear to me over the years the impact of the fam- famine on the Irish psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the west of Ireland, well, the whole country was affected, but um, the west of Ireland bears witness to this even more viscerally or something. Uh, I um, think so, definitely. And I think it also does take time to really absorb that. Um, it you, you go through stages, you think, oh, I've got my head around this event, whatever happened to the Irish. But um, you, you hit new thresholds all the time. And I feel similarly about uh, German history and mm-hmm. um, revisiting it at different times or at different points in my life. Um, it, it 
takes on new and different meanings and it becomes even more layered. I think that makes sense as well, Suzanne, because as we go through different phases of our lives, you know, we go from uh, young teenage women or girls into that sort of uh, stage of life that you were were obviously at, you know, when you went to Dublin that time. And as you're going through different phases, it's like you're going to gravitate and understand the history of your own country in in different ways, I suppose, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I find living away from Germany has given me um, very rich perspectives on it. And I mean, this is my life. I have lived away for a long, long time now. So I will never find out what it would have been like to stay. But I'm making sense of my own country, my own Germanness, even from here in my own way. There's so many different ways you can do this, but it it is hugely important to me. And I I do feel as I'm getting older, it it is something I will always want to do. Whereas I would find it hard to imagine living there again, but the connection, the fact that I'm from the place and that it has really shaped me so significantly. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, Just going back to, so you were in Dublin, and but you did go back to Germany, didn't you, to to go to university? Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you would have had a bit of contrast at that stage? How did that affect you that particular period? Yeah, I, I went to study in Erlangen, which is a small town about twenty kilometers from Nuremberg. Um, I studied English language and literature, and also film studies, which at the very early stages of that program was a combined program of drama and film studies. So the first year I was with a lot of people who wanted to become actors, which was quite interesting. Um, but the film studies part, which I then majored in, was more theoretically driven, but I was always surrounded there by creatives. Um, leaving aside the two subjects that I was studying, um, being in the small town of Erlangen, initially felt like a bit of a compromise. I had always dreamed I could maybe go to Berlin to study. My cousin lived there. She's a fine artist and I had visited Berlin a few times and had these dreams about going there. But something had happened in Ireland that made me want to go back to Ireland somehow. Mm -hmm. And I had this sense that if I had gone to Berlin, that might never happen. I don't know if okay. I but just um I came to Erlangen, started college there, found it quite bizarre an experience, found it quite anonymous. The university was massive. There were so many people. It was hard to really connect. And the two subjects were very different. The drama film studies part was very hands-on, very creative, a lot of um practice lessons and so on, whereas at least for the early part of the course, whereas the English language and literature part was very dry and a lot of um, modules that that I just thought, is this it? No, is this just me studying dry things where I really want to be a creative? (laughs) But being in a small town was a nice thing and it gave me a lot of time to reflect on what had happened in Ireland and even what had happened 
for me as a teenager because I do now know at this stage of my life that I'm really an introvert. I take a lot of time to process things. Like mm-hmm. um in 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 the best possible way as well because it can be easy to beat yourself up over this. Oh, you should be you should be able to take in things a lot more quickly and move on and process. But I I do things I do think things go very deep with me. So it's it's good for me to have time where I get like time in nature, um, reflect. And that was certainly possible studying in Erlangen as opposed to going to Berlin. Mm-hmm. I'm quite happy looking back. I think I learned back then living in Erlangen. I, I rented a room there that it was possible for me to be in a small place and be fulfilled with the things I do rather than mm-hmm. feel, oh, I always have to chase up lots. Of, I have to be everywhere. And this idea of fear of missing out. I, I think even then I was aware that you kind of pick what you want to do and then you, you stick with it. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I was only in my early 20s back then, but like. It, it was after a, a wonky start where I wasn't sure, is this the right place for me? It was good because I was able to focus on studying and then eventually I was able to apply for a year abroad, which brought me back to Ireland. Okay, that's great. So you, your, your intention worked out. Whereabouts in Ireland did you end up at that stage, Suzanne? At that point, I went to Galway. I spent a year at what was then called UCG and UI Galway and mm-hmm. I studied English there um, at that point I, I should briefly add that I had been back to Ireland during the semester breaks so really my first two years of college were centering around how can I return to Ireland <laughs> and uh, I have to I, I want to study at university obviously and I want to study these subjects, but the big dream for me was Ireland. It was always this, when can I go back? When can I go back? So I did do all these jobs on the side to travel back. And then the idea of living there again as a college student was amazing. And I I was very lucky to get a grant for the year and, uh, yeah, spend a year. How did Germany compare? Sorry, try that again. How did Galway compare? to Erlangen, your university experience uh, must have been quite contrasting, I imagine. Very contrasting, yeah. Even though size-wise, they might be roughly the same and they're both university towns, but Galway was just, it was amazing. It's so vibrant. The international influences there. You meet people from all over the world and yet it's just such a um, an Irish place. Uh, so vibrant and again you're so close to the coast Um, you have Connemara there on your doorstep the west of Ireland really seeps in it's a very different world from Dublin just Mm -hmm. quite urban in its own way and even though we talked about before but how Dublin as a city you can't compare it to the likes of London or New York or even Berlin Um, yeah but Galway is the weather was a huge thing. Of course, I had experienced Irish weather in 
Dublin and also on my travels. But to be living there for a year, I remember where I was living, there was no bus to the university. So I, I was in Salt Hill, but there was no direct link to Newcastle. So I had to cycle. And I remember the amount of days I was blown off the bicycle. <laughs> I can imagine. I know the area quite well. Yeah, I can imagine. And wearing these waterproof trousers and carrying them around college all day. And they were, they didn't smell nice. And <laughs> you felt like you had to, like, it, it was literally like, like, traveling in space with the winter weather the heating in my accommodation wasn't great i had the worst colds and ear infections during that winter until i finally bought an electric heater but leaving all that aside the place really grew on me over time it was just it was something so raw and uh, i used the word before visceral there that really resonated with something in me and my love of the sea became even stronger I remember walking along the coast every day and whatever I needed at that time in my life I think it was it 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 was really a good place to be um my father had died when I was 16 and I think I had never really grieved for him properly and that year in Galway was an opportunity to to do that um, I remember walking along the coast and being really in touch with the grief and for the first time understanding that this is something you almost have to make space for and it, it goes well with certain landscapes um, and it takes a lot of time. So my year in Galway was very rich for, for all kinds of reasons. That's an amazing insight because you actually used the word raw about the landscape there. Mm -hmm. And of course, grief when it is in process, particularly for a parent or somebody so close, is bound to be very raw. And, and the landscape triggered your your processing of, of at least some of that grief, no? Absolutely. And as I said, it was like years before I, I came to Galway that my father had passed. I was 16. Um, but... German culture is, is quite different when it comes to dealing with death, to Irish culture. And while I will forever be hovering somewhere in between those two, I guess, I, what I like about um, Ireland is how it's, it's possible to quite openly talk about these things. Mm -hmm. And it really helped me. And it, it wasn't something that... Um, I had seen coming even that I would be in touch with the grief of my father, especially the first part of that year in that winter. And then I had the lovely experience of also being there in the spring that followed and the summer. And that was the, that was the polar opposite. It was like I had suddenly emerged out of something very, very heavy. And, um, I, experienced a lot of cultural events there, the Courage Literature Festival, um, where I actually got involved in the Poets Platform. I read mm -hmm. one of my poems that I've written in one of the seminars at college, that the offerings at, at uh, NUI Galway are amazing. Like, um, and at the time, I was, I was just stunned by what was possible for people who are both creative and interested in studying the history and theory side in Germany, that was always very separate, even though in my 
experience of the film film studies degree and the drama combined program it was that little bit different but still the island was was um in my mind miles ahead of or, or just deals with these things differently it doesn't draw that line so what we were doing in college was we had we were looking at contemporary irish poetry and our assignment for the week was usually to um write a a, a poem in response to the poems we had read by the likes mm-hmm. of Ivan Boland, uh, Maeve McGuckin, and very um, Seamus Heaney, of course, Derek Mahan. These were the big names at the time, and mm-hmm. I had never heard of any of them. Um, so it was a huge privilege to to be exposed to that and be invited to write poetry in English, even though I thought it, it wasn't great, but it, it opened a door in me um, that, yeah, that was that was probably the first step towards what I'm doing now and at the poets platform in in the court literary festival I then read one of these pieces and that's strange enough also where I met my partner who I'm still together with now so it, it was a hugely important spring when we met at that festival and we were friends for for a while but that's where we met initially As Jackie just couldn't stop asking questions, this interview has been split into a few episodes. Be sure to check out the next one. The link is below. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creative Places and Faces podcast. If you would like to apply to be a guest or a sponsor, be sure to check out the links below the podcast. Until next time, from all of us here, take care, stay safe, and be creative.